You are listening to the Photobomb podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photobomb podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry, and with me, as always, is Gary Hughes. Hey there, Boo Ray. How are you today? It is the first podcast. It's Sunday afternoon, and we're going to crack beers. Uh, there it is, right there, baby. <laughs> it's the first beer cast. The photo beer podcast. Well, you know, the folk, my, my wife and kids were here, and they just left, and so we were like, we should get a beer after the podcast, and then Gary goes to get a water out of the refrigerator and goes, hey, there's, there's beer in the refrigerator. So why, why not combine the two? Efficiency right. is what we are about. We're so let's all just about combine <laughs> the two. We'll drink. Mm. Here's to you. Mm. I'm drink- What are you drinking there, Boo? I'm drinking uh, Miller Lite. I've got the king of beers, Budweiser. Right I, here. I like the Miller Lite because, and this is how I order a beer uh, when I go out. I go to a place, they've got 27, you know, 3,000 beers. And I say to the waitress, I would like the beer that tastes the most like water that you have. Preferably say a Miller Lite, or is there anything that tastes more like water than Miller Lite? And she'll say, no, Miller Lite is the most water-based beer in the world. And I'll say, fine, you'll just have to bring me. Because no one has ever come up with it. If they had a beer that tastes like water, that's what I would drink. I would say Michelob Ultra would be. Pretty. No, no, and there's a little aftertaste on the Michelob really? Ultra. Yeah, I drank the Michelob Ultra years ago when I was on the, the Atkins diet. I think we're missing the point of your statement. Why? I don't like beer. That's, I mean, I do like beer, especially like with certain foods, like, you know, with chicken wings and stuff. Oh, that's, oh, oh yeah, yeah, beer. But I'm not a huge fan of the beer. I prefer to go with the hard liquor and, of course, the narcotics. You're a sweet tea vodka guy. I am a sweet tea vodka guy. But, um, but yeah, but the people who drink like the real men, like, oh, give me the Guinness Stout. Give me that black beer. Guinness is surprisingly, when served properly, easy to drink. It's really? actually very smooth and not bitter at all. But most places, here, here's a little beer lesson for you, boys and girls. All right. Uh, beer is typically served with a uh, – it's the beer and then out of the keg, and then there's air that compresses it and pushes it out the tap. Most beer is what is, is a CO2-based. put. That's the air that pushes the beer out of the tap. Okay. Whereas uh, certain types of beer are uh, need nitrogen. And Guinness is one of those beers that is a nitrogen tap beer. So a lot of places, they'll buy a keg of Guinness from their distributor, and they'll hook it up to a CO2 Ah. line. And it makes it more bitter. It makes it more frothy. It makes it not taste as good. And so when you go, if you really like a Guinness and you want to order a Guinness, go to the bar and say, excuse me, is your Guinness on CO2 or nitrogen? And I've actually even had a bartender tell me it was on nitrogen when it was on CO2. Like, they know. You know, but right. you can tell a nitrogen tap because a nitrogen tap has a little black rubber spout on the bottom of it. So if you look and the Guinness has that little black rubber spout, okay. then that's typically going to be your nitrogen oh. tap. That'll give you the better Guinness. Oh, I've learned something. Yeah, yeah. And I'll drink to that. Yeah, here's... Mm, mm. Mm. So, hey, are we actually going to... We're going to yes. do... We're doing a podcast. Today. We're doing a podcast. We're going to talk about some stuff today. I did want to mention this because you will appreciate this. I had a wedding recently and the priest, Catholic priest, was in voice mannerisms and facial resemblance the spitting image of Harry Shear do you know who Harry Shear is Mm-mm. Harry Shear was the bass player in Spinal Tap and, oh, he, yeah. and he does like half the voices on the Simpsons oh absolutely yeah yeah he's awesome he looked just like Harry and he talked just like him too Harry Shear by the way Harry a, a disc jockey uh, for many 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 years and still has a podcast and it was so distracting watching him give the offering and the wine and the thing and all I can think of you know is there's Derek Smalls the bass player for Spinal Tap but you're also uh, he did other films he did what was that Waiting for 
Guffman and Best in Show. Oh, yeah, he does all, all those, those Christopher Guest yeah, films. Yeah, all the Christopher Guest films. And yeah. he was on Saturday Night Live with Christopher Guest and Billy Crystal during that one year when they, and Martin Short when they were all on Saturday Night Live. Oh, funny thing about Saturday Night Live. Did you know this? Uh, people you didn't know were cast members. Robert Downey Jr. Oh, I knew that. I didn't realize. Robert Downey Jr. and Anthony Hall. They roomed together. Yeah, I started yeah. I started watching old episodes of SNL. I'm a big SNL fan. I feel like maybe oh, yeah. that me and like three other people are the last remaining like hardcore SNL fans. Like I'm a really big fan. Oh, no, fan I know show. them all. I've, read, I've got several books. I've read it. I know the whole like, history. Like even currently. Like yeah, currently I'm having a hard time just time-wise. I'm having a hard time right. finding time to watch. Well, it. you know, here's the thing about Saturday Night Live. Like people only remember the good sketches. Like if you think back to the days when you had, you know, Steve Martin hosted the show a lot. Right. Oh, okay, so there's several generations. There's like the uh, Anna, Dana, Rosanna, Banana, Fana generation right. of SNL. Jane, you ignorant slut. And then, yeah, Jane, you ignorant slut. The Dan Aykroyd SNL. And then there's the people who watched SNL, like the Mike Myers, Dana Carvey days. Right. right. And then there's people that were watching. Many it. people would argue, by the way, that that was the finest, the finest cast that they ever had. Well, that's the thing is the cast changed. Sometimes dramatically every year, but people can't look back on the era when they watch Saturday Night Live, and they can't really remember any bad sketches. So that's why people always say Saturday Night Live was better. Right then, right, and but they know, were terrible sketches. There Awful, were tons bombing sketches. Half of like the sketches crazy. suck every year, every yeah. season. Half the sketches I rarely, suck. I rarely watch past an, uh, the update, weekend update, because they dump every, all the bad stuff is dumped after update. And it, yeah, because they know you're probably asleep by then. Right, and yeah. if it's good, they'll bring it back, the characters back, and they'll do it before update later. Like Wayne's World famously debuted in the very last slot, but it became one of their most famous sketches. Right, and, and having if you miss the very first Wayne's World, it's not going to kill you. They're going to bring it back. But I still like SNL. Sure, I do too. I watch it, um, and there are obvious. Every year, it's a little bit different, and there's ups and downs, obviously. But I mean, just the the hard work that goes into it. Like you and I, we we don't script this podcast, and just for <laughs> for two guys who actually can you tell two guys who sit down and who have great conversation back and forth. We whenever we get together, we always have great conversation. Um, we can sit down and we have to make a podcast that's interesting for like 30 minutes to an hour. And to do that every week is tough. Can you imagine performing a... And, and, and rarely achieved. Writing, performing, producing, and televising a live sketch comedy yeah. show and making it awesome every week. I think what's interesting that people don't know about, uh, about Saturday Night Live is they have a dress rehearsal on Saturday night at 9 o'clock. Right. And that dress rehearsal, Saturday Night Live is an hour-long show. That dress rehearsal is an hour and a half to two hours. And they dump sketches, And then they right? dump like 25, 30% of the sketches that have been written, blocked, sets have been built, costumes have been made, the whole nine yards, and then it never makes it to they air. They do the ones that get the best laughs yes. in the actual live right. part of the and show. And it never makes it to air. So you wrote it, you blocked it out, you built, they built the sets, you've got the costumes, you did the makeup, the whole nine yards, you do it for the dress rehearsal audience, and it's a very small audience. And then Lauren, Lauren is like, yeah, no. And it's gone forever. And you might hopefully get it onto a future show, but probably not. And they, did, they, you know, they used not to do it that way. It used to be when they first started that they, it was more of a, we put together an hour and an hour is going on. And this is why one of the things that bugs me about Saturday Night Live now, but now I see, oh, I guess this way, is that if you watch Saturday Night Live, they are so obviously reading the cue cards. Yeah. And if you go look at the original seasons of Saturday Night Live, they no, they memorized their lines, but I think in the original seasons they didn't have to memorize two shows worth of shows every week, only to have one thrown out. I think that they were, you know, they had the same sketches. They worked on them all week, uh, and then they. Boo, can you tilt a little bit to the right? I can't see the cue card guy. Are you saying you. They, I, it's, I mean, it's <laughs> pathetically bad how bad they look. At I the cue can cards. see how they would need them for the guest host. 
right? Because yeah. maybe that's not yeah, the thing that they do yeah. every Britney week. Britney Spears is not that good at it, but, but okay. But the rest of the people, yeah. And it's why, and it's one of the reasons I think that you see them do so many sketches where it's where the sketch is a fake TV show, pre-recorded. Oh, it's a fake TV show. You know, it's a such and such a show. It's because they get to look straight into the camera and read the cue card. Right, marker. right. But they, I, I also noticed one thing is that they're doing a lot more pre-recorded sketches yeah. nowadays than they used to. But that's just a sign of the times. I, I want to promise you, our, our 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 listeners, our devoted fans and listeners and friends, we will never pre-record and rehearse an episode. Okay, wait a minute. We pre-record. No, never. It's live. This is live. We're on. <laughs> <laughs> we will never read from cue cards. We, we would always... never. We don't edit. There was never like we like we would never stop the show because the garage door opener is <laughs> opening and closing. Which happened <laughs> two <laughs> weeks. Two weeks ago. Listen, that was funny. That was because we're doing the show and and we're in my studio, which is above my garage, and we're doing the show. And then suddenly, like this hum, like mm, is coming, and we're like, "What? What is that hum?" And we assume it's in the equipment because we've had problems, before. or that an alien ship is landing yes, in the lawn. The anal probe is coming for us, and we're like, mm, "What is that hum?" And so, right about the time we're like, "What's that hum?" The hum stopped. So, we're like, oh, well, whatever it was, we uh, grounded wire or something. I thought it was a mixer board yeah. or a microphone or something. So we go back. We're like, okay, well, back it up, back up the tape, and we'll pick it up where we left off, and and we do it, and then we just start doing it again. Mm, what is that hum? And we're what is going on? And we can't figure out. And it was a garage door. My wife was opening and closing the garage door, and so we and we edited it all out of the program. So when you listen to the programs and they are so flawlessly smooth. Know that every once in a while we I will feel have like to, you're uh, you're pulling the curtain back. I'm pulling the. Cur- <laughs> What's sad is right now, if you're listening, you're thinking to yourself, so this is the polished product. <laughs> this, this, what I've been hearing is the polished yeah. product. Oh, so sad. It's it doesn't so happen very often. There's only been a couple of times we've ever actually had to stop the show. Um, yeah. Um, you know, the funny thing is... And it's it, always technical. Every once in a while, Blu-ray flubs, flubs the intro. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there you go. You know, if you keep screwing it up, I'm going to take over the intro. Here, let me practice one. Hi, and welcome to the Photobomb Podcast. No, it doesn't sound See, right. no, you, screwed, you, were, you were messing up the word podcast right there. Podcast? You, were, you, you started to mess it up. All right, well, you do a great job on the intro. Well, you've got to be credit because um, I do a, a pretty good job on the intro considering that I had cancer, <laughs> and it is harder for me to speak. You, you laugh, but it's true. It is harder. For, I had cancer, Gary. Oh, my God. When are you going to stop beating that drum? Good uh, What I like to say is I, I, didn't have, I had the cancer. You had the cancer? I had the cancer. <laughs> well, what are we talking about today? I don't know. Oh, we're talking about education. We Ed- do have to talk about something. Um, and uh, what we want to talk about, because I was thinking about this um, when I was shooting recently. And I sent you uh, a text where I said, uh, yeah, I, just, uh, I was shooting a wedding, and I was pulling some, uh, some plays from the Gary Hughes playbook. And... Um, I'm a I'm a guy who I, I certainly has no problem giving you know saying to somebody, you know, wow, you inspired me in a way, or you gave me something to work on. But we were we were talking about this earlier, and I was shooting a wedding, and I remember seeing you speak at Imaging, and watching your style. And I think this this is one of the things that I tend to get from speakers. People talk about what can you get from a speaker when somebody comes and teaches. What can you get from a class? And a lot of times it's mindset stuff. That I that that I take away that they have a certain mindset in the way they approach an image, and so then I will take that myself and go. Let me try using that mindset and see if I can produce something like what they produce, or or something that's a little bit outside of what I normally produce. And at this particular wedding, um, you were talking very much about how you like to find really good light, put people in really good light, and then get a reaction out of them. Now I like to get a reaction out of people too, but I'm very quick to give up on it. 
if I don't get something right away, I'm very quick to be like, okay, moving on. Uh, let me pull out the strobes. Let me get the sunset. Let me get the dynamic picture. And in this particular instance, I was I was in a situation where I had great light. There was a ballroom that was open with a giant window and no one in it. So I had this giant light coming in through this window. Perfect. And I said, I'm going to put my bride and groom in this light, and I am not going to take them out of this light until I get what I want. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fall back on what I'm good at. I'm not going to be like, oh, this isn't working. Well, let me take you over here and light you with this and do this thing that I know I can do well. I'm going to put you here because this is an opportunity that I don't always get. I don't have an excuse. This is good light, great location. So, damn it, force yourself to do something that you don't, you know, force yourself to make something good here, something different. Push yourself just a little bit out of, outside of what I guess you might say is your comfort zone. Sure. And so that's what I did. And that's the sort of thing that when I go see somebody speak that I tend to take away. You're more of an inspiration guy. You, you, you very much are inspired by other people. I, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I can definitely say that. I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for inspiration for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you talk about that a lot. Inspiration is a word that comes from you a lot. I don't need a ton of help on the technical end of photography. Like I've gotten to the point with photography where if I see a video of a lighting setup for 10 seconds, like, okay, I got it. Right. You know, right. or if I see an image, a lot of times I can look at the image and I know how they lit it. Uh, any, any experienced photographer is like that. So I'm very much not like I get burnout and run down sometimes. And I'm always looking for a photographer to get me a speaker or a teacher or an educator or anything to get me excited again about my work. And give me some ideas, some directions to go in. That's for sure. Somebody wrote in with a question uh, about that and saying, what, what do you feel is the greatest benefit of going to see speakers or going and taking education classes? And we can talk about that a little bit because I think everybody gets a little bit something different out of it. Like I'm not a guy who, um, like you were just saying, I don't necessarily get a lot out of a technical class. It, it, you know, it does depend because it depends on where you are in, in your photography business. A lot of people, when they're new, there's a transition, right? Everybody who starts, starts out as a natural light photographer, pretty much. Sure. And then there's a transition of having to learn to use more equipment. And so you see a lot of the technical classes are filled up with a lot of people that are transitioning into adding more stuff into what they do. But if you've been doing it a long time, I've been doing it a long time, there's plenty of people like uh, Kevin, who he had on the show a few episodes ago, um, has been doing it for longer than I've been alive probably right um and here's the thing we go to a lot of education like we it's part of what we do it's it's a lot of the times where we we only get to interact with certain people at these events so we're members of different groups and we go to seminars and workshops and it's gotten to the point where when you've been in the business so long you go to these things just to see friends and drink and have a good time yeah and you're skipping a lot of the educational classes but um at the same time as both of us as instructors we're sort of have to you know be our own best be our own best client in the way it's like you know i believe in education and i still get as much as i don't go to every little seminar but sometimes i'm surprised by um surprised by something by the education that i get i just get so much out when i do actually sit down and watch something i always find that i can get something out of yes it. you can always get something out of it and i do what you do i'll skip stuff and then every time i don't skip something i always come away going you know, I shouldn't skip stuff. You get that because one th thing. Yeah. What was it when we, when we a couple of years ago at Florida at uh, at Focus? There was a girl who was a portrait photographer, and the thing that she said that I thought was so great was she said that she has a table that she has her clients come in and sit down at, 
uh, when the, when she's going to sell them. And she puts mom on one side of the table and dad on the other side, and she sits at the head of the table. And she specifically has Susie a, Fulton. Susie Fulton. Yeah. She specifically has a table that has a centerpiece like bar, so that you cannot kick each other under the table. She said so that so that dad can't kick mom under the table when she's talking about spending too much money. And I thought that's a genius. Take that one thing. Yeah, that one thing about that. That is a genius. I love that idea. Yeah, you know what? It's funny because I was. Uh, we have our local photography group in Orlando. It's our local PPA affiliate, the Professional Photographer Society of Central Florida. And we meet once a month, and we bring you know just like you do in Tampa, which is the Tampa Tap, Tampa's equivalent, bringing a speaker every month. Yada yada yada. But um, we have some photographers in our group who have been in the business a long time. You know, we got guys like Tim Kelly and Greg Daniel and Peter Berg, and these guys have been in the photography industry forever. Greg Daniel is um, a board member for the PPA. He is a photographer who's been successful for many, many years, and he still comes to programs yeah. and takes notes. Yeah, takes notes. Takes notes. When I came and spoke in Orlando, he was there, and I was just like, "What? there's nothing I can teach you, you know? That's the thing. Is, you know what it was? I remember it was uh, my good friends, uh, Linda and Olin Long, who are these terrific husband-wife photography team in Tallahassee. And hilarious. And they're, oh my, you know, we should ha- get them Olin, on the show. Olin, they're both hilarious, but Olin is one of those guys that, for someone like me, the first time, I, I, I just met him for the first time not too long ago. And within five minutes, I was like, oh, you need to be my best friend. Yeah. Because he was just—he's just so—he was hilarious. Whenever we have our kind of people, whenever we have photography events where we're there, it's like we're just with Lyndon mm-hmm. Olin a lot, Julie and I, because they're such a blast. But um, they came and they did a great program. They have um a really cool business model, and they were doing a program. They were talking about all kinds of different things that they do, and there's one thing that they um that they do. I forget what the name of the program is, but it's essentially it's a program for like hair and nail salons that you can send a text reminder to your clients of like your appointments, right? And so, and it's something that they use with their clients because a lot of, we've talked about this before, a lot of people are going to use text and stuff like that. And how do you keep your clients? We had a, somebody write in with a question, how do you get your clients to show up for appointments? And so um, we actually, I remember I was sitting next to Greg Daniel when he, when he was at that meeting. And this is a guy who, he has a portrait business. Yeah. He has a great portrait a business. high-end portrait so business. So he's sitting in a class with people that are like, probably 25 years younger than him that have 25 years less experience than him and he's sitting there listening to everything they say and he goes boom takes out a pad pen and like writes that right down like the texting thing and he i mean that was at least one like he's yeah there's what always I think is one thing in in the the uh, a good business person and a good artist should have a similar frame of mind of the fact is that you never should stop trying to acquire better knowledge about how to do your job and how to make your work. And I love to see somebody who is so successful and who is so talented, anybody who will sit there and listen. And and there are people like that. They're at every educational opportunity, taking notes and always trying to improve themselves. I really admire that. I have, I have so much respect for him because I don't know if, if I could be that guy you oh. know, after 25 years and I've done everything. I don't know if I can show up to eat you know cold pizza and watch some guy who's 25 and has been doing it for two years trying to teach me something i don't i don't know if i'll be able to be that guy here i started my speaking career speaking at the ppa affiliates around florida and i found that some of the people that were the best most experienced photographers were the most avid uh learners they were the most uh the most intense about education the ones who were at the meetings taking notes sitting in the front yeah ready to learn and these are the guys who have staying power in the business the guys and the, and the and the ladies that have been in the photography business for you know 30 years 25 years however long and they're staying in business because they're 
always trying to learn and stay on top of the new stuff that's coming around rather than getting to some point where you go, yeah, I got it figured out. And I, you know, even those of us who teach other photographers about, you know, how to have a better business, how to make, how to make better work, how to get inspired. Um, I still find myself needing that refreshment, even in those times when I, I have like a real arrogant mindset and I don't think that I do. Right. And I get so much out of it. And when I see something, it's just like, um, it's like water to like somebody. You don't even realize how thirsty you are until somebody until gives somebody you a glass it, yeah. of water. Right. You know? it's, that's a very good analogy. You don't realize until somebody gets handed to you and you go, oh, that's like I said. When I, I'll come out and I'll be like, oh, I should go to more of these things. Yeah. <laughs> I always get something out of them. Okay. I want to talk about the future of photography, Gary. The future. In the year 2000. The future of photography. I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about trends. What, what is that noise? That's me. That was trends. the future. <laughs> trends and things that have happened in photography in recent years that have become the the... The niche things, the things that people say, well, if I want to be a successful photographer, um, and this is very much along the wedding photography line, I, th- I think, um, that I need to be able to do this. And then I think, what's coming? What's, what's going to be next in terms of this is what's going to get you a job? This is, this is what's going to make people want to hire you? And um, I think that for a while, and still now, and maybe a little bit in the future, I think for a while, off-camera light has been very much that thing, where there's, you can be a natural light photographer, and that's great. You can be a guy that only works with the camera on your flash, that's great. But if you can be an an off-camera light photographer, you are going to kick yourself up to a new level, and it's going to open up a world of clients to you that are new, and it's going to give you a leg up on people who can't do it. I've always, I, I thought that that very much. You know, when you go around to teach or you have schools, nine, tens out of, nine times out of ten, someone is teaching a class just on off-camera light. Almost always. Yes. So off-camera light has been the thing. But here's what I think is is going to. I think we're about to come back around, in in a new and an old way. I think off-camera light is going to continue to be important. But I think because of cell phones and the fact that everyone's got a camera with them and everyone can take a picture, that off-camera lighting and good composition and stuff are going to be important. But I think that posing is going to be the new off-camera light in the future. Absolutely. And I don't mean traditional posing. I mean posing be it fashion posing, be it be it be it non traditional posing, but still knowing that you need to have the curve and the men need to be out the shoulders. How to make somebody look good? Yes, that that is and really make it look natural. And you never see, you don't see it much no. now. You don't see a whole lot of classes on it. You don't see a lot of people teaching it. It's all let's turn off camera light. Let's learn that. But I'm telling you, it's coming around because here's the thing: you go on Pinterest and you look at the pictures that get repinned all the time by people. The ones that are so successful, they get repinned all the time. And they're great images, and some of them are funny, and some of them are goofy wedding images. But you look at them, they're almost always perfectly posed. Whether it's on purpose or it was by accident, these rules exist for a reason. These little things that can be wrong with your picture and with your pose that make people just, they build up. There's enough of them to where the picture, for some reason, isn't quite as good as that picture. And the viewer doesn't know why, but you and I know because we know that her hand is wrong and her wrist is wrong and her legs are wrong and she's not turned properly. And I or, think, or his body might be posed so that he looks heavier. Yes, absolutely. And I think, and, and, and it's looking at stuff like Pinterest that has brought me around because people are like, oh, Pinterest, and it's all the prop photos. and it's, it's uh, uh, uh. But yeah, you look at the stuff that's really popular popular they're all really good photographs and they're almost always posed just right and you know what the 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 real um uh, the real key is to me is to pose something 
and make it look not posed. Here's mm-hmm. what here's what clients mm-hmm. don't understand. And this applies not just their wedding photography. Every it's type of family, oh, even to me, because to me, I'll take a, a bride and a groom and pose them any day over a family of four. So much harder to me. Well, let me ask you this. How many times do you have somebody come to you when they're ready to book you for their wedding or whatever, and they say these words? I don't really like the post yes, I don't like posts. I don't like posts. But, but, I don't like the post. And I have a standard reply. Everyone likes post photographs. They just don't know that they like post photographs. One of my favorite quotes uh, from myself is that <laughs> as a photographer, who's a ta- if, if you are really looking to develop skills in photography, you need to make be able to make posed images that look candid. Yeah. And candid images that look like you had control over the whole thing. You right. know what I mean? You need to be able... Because obviously, you know, there was a time when posed photography was a thing. Let's say... Let's call it the 80s. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in the 80s, when you would get a glamour shot done or a portrait done, it would be really cheesy like Deb's glamour shots from Napoleon Dynamite with like your fist yep. sort of under yep. your chin yep. looking slightly off camera. And now I think that... um what you're really looking for is posing that looks natural because the posing doesn't exist to do it just for the sake of doing it. If you go back to the origins of photography and of posing, um, posing exists to make, to flatter people, to put you in a position where you look your best. Here's a great example. I learned this from um, Hanson Fong, one of the great posing, he one of the great advocates of posing. He learned it from Rocky Gunn and he probably learned it from Methuselah. Who knows how long ago that was? But <laughs> It's basically you look at two people and you go, how can I make these two people look the best? So if you've got a family and you've got – I recently shot a family portrait for another photographer friend of mine, Ashley Lisevsky, and her husband. Ashley is like 5'1". Her husband is 6'5". Wow. Right? I mean there's more than a foot difference between the two of them, and they have two little girls. And so we did family portraits for them, and there's the challenge. If I had just sort of like, guys, go play in the field and I'll take pictures of it, it, it could have looked ridiculous. You know, and because I've done a lot of education and training and gone to a lot of classes and learned from a lot of the masters, how do I make a five foot tall girl and a six foot five man look natural together in a photograph? Right. And it happens the same way. Sometimes you get a four hundred pound guy and an eighty pound girl. How did you do it? Um <laughs> here's one of the things, even when I'm shooting on location and this is you know, knowing your client, um, I, uh, I I take a lot of um, when I have a situation like this. I'll take a lot of um, think posing um, uh, items out with me. So, for example, like a little apple box or a stool, or I use my camera case. My Pelican case is great for that. And you create levels with people. And so, you know, I could have um, Dad in that situation could be sitting on the ground. Because that's the first thing I would have thought was I got he's going to have to sit. But he's somewhere. sitting with the girls in the, in his lap and one on the side standing up because his daughter standing up is like not quite as tall as right. him. So you got different levels, and then you got mom who's up on her knees and she can wrap her hands around from behind him. And but there's so many different things that you can do in all these techniques, you know, body blocking, using levels, um, that. Uh, in, looking at a, if you're shooting outside and you say, hey, I've got a slope here. I'm like, I could use that, you know. But you have to know not only what you need to do, but how to do it. And so when people come in and they go, oh, I don't really like post stuff, be like, yeah, you do. Absolutely. Yeah, you do. And I show, and I, sh- I, I, in my slideshow, when I have people come in uh, for weddings, I show them a, a whole section on posing. Because I talk about you need to have a photographer who can pose, and I start off with here's a here's a wedding party that was uh, that was 32 people, and I posed them in five minutes and shot them and lit them and shot them in the church in five minutes, which left me with more time to take the romantic stuff. Now, if I didn't know how to do that, and maybe you don't even want this picture, but 
I always say, you know, and maybe you don't even want this picture, but you're going to want it one day because the picture of everybody jumping in the air and going woohoo is great today. But still when you're posed, but when you're fit, yeah, still posed, <laughs> still posed. But when you're 50, that's not the picture you're going to want on your wall. And whenever I say that, they always shake their heads like, yeah. And then I go, and grandma and mom, they want this picture today. So I can do this quickly, and then I can move on to the stuff that you want to do that is fun. I go, or not do it at all if you don't want me to. But then I go in there and I progress through a series of group poses that get a little bit more out there and a little bit more flamboyant and a little bit more it doesn't look like it's posed, but it actually is. And it's my way of showing I know how to pose at every level that you could need me to know. And I use it to sell myself to clients. And I'm not the best poser in the world. I'm really not. And, and if I have one, Oh, you're a poser. If I have, I'm a poser. If I have one, uh, if I have one thing that I'm working on this year to get better at is I really want to get better at posing, and I really want to get better at hands. Hands are tough. Hands are so tough. But but I I know it's my failing, and I really want to get good at it. I want to be able to take you know the 400 pound guy and the 100 pound woman and figure out a way to pose them, not just to pose them better, but I want to be able to pose them and walk away saying. No one could have come up with anything better. You know, I really would like to master posing. And it is so hard, which is why I think that in the future, as cameras become better for cell phones and everyone can take more and more pictures, that the ability to pose people is going to really be able to raise you up and justify why people should spend money on you as a photographer. Well, one of the big trends that's been in the industry over the last few years is you know, um, location photography out in the field, in the sunset, you know, right. and that whole thing. And real sort of natural lifestyle photography um, or quote unquote lifestyle photography or whatever. Um, and I think that that has been the trend for a while. But as we know about trends, the nature of trends is, is that they change. Right. And just like everything else, it's going to swing back. There is pretty much nothing in photographic technique that hasn't been done already. There's hard, There's how often do you see something that, that you look at it and you go, that's never been done before. Yeah, never I've happened. never seen Every, that Everything comes if around. If you go back far enough, you'll find it. It's there. And what's um, what's cool about it is that, you know, we talked a little bit about in a previous episode about the history of photography and, and getting inspired. You can always kind of see what's going to come back. And really knowing how to make people look good is, I think people look at the, photo- what, what, what do photographers put on their website? They put the great pictures of the most beautiful people that they have. Yeah. So if you get a, a family who doesn't look like a bunch of Australian supermodels uh, come into your studio and you get normal looking people, you know, you got mom with a two year old who's still losing some of that baby weight and you got dad who's like, you know, he sits at a desk all day so he doesn't have time to stay fit as much as he'd like. And or maybe you got a receding hair or you got bad skin and there's just there's things where or you get the British couple that I had recently who were in their 60s and had teeth that really defied description. Could he eat an apple through just, a picket fence? Oh, just re- <laughs> yes. yes. That's exactly right. It was scary. And let me, and, and I know I'm off track, but I'll forget it. And what is it? The, here's what I love about British weddings. The British women are not happy if they don't have something in their hair. There's going to be a flower or a feather or a hat. They're very big with the hats, you know, in Great Britain. But whenever I have a British a British uh, wedding here, every woman is going to have something in her hair. It's, it's just a cultural British thing. I get, I get a huge kick out of it. There's always feathers or something. Whereas, you know, American women wouldn't think that I need to have something in my hair. I'm not talking about just the, the woman getting married, the bride. I'm talking about every woman. That's their, If you're dressed up for something, there's something in your hair. Yeah, I mean, it's like a derby day. Yeah. yeah. They, they all have to have something in their hair. The it's more hilarious. ostentatious, the better, clearly. Yes, yeah. absolutely. The ridiculous, absolutely. ridiculous yeah. hats. Ah. I interrupted you. What were you on? You, don't, don't, you don't remember now? One beer. Uh, <laughs> you had one beer and you can't I think we're talking about how, how trends change and, and the important yes. thing about um, 
We've, we've spent a lot of time on posing, and we were talking a little about technique, education, inspiration. Let me ask you this, because um, we've just got a couple of minutes left. Um, in your photography education, learning, obviously, you're still working on posing, as we yeah. all are looking yeah. to refine our technique and refine our posing. What are um, some of the things that are the most important to learn? Let's say you're getting into photography, um, and you got an array of classes to take. As you know, what is it that that you gravitate towards right now besides posing, off camera lighting? I would think that for me, the biggest thing that I pay attention to now. The first, I was all about technique, and now I'm all about going to business classes. Right. 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 You know, because once I kind of feel like I've got... And many people would say, many many successful photographers would say, it should be the other way around. Yeah, but if you go to a... Uh, you should ph- start with business. You go to inspirational photography seminar where they're doing a live shoot with a baby. It'll be packed. You yes. Go to, you go to a class where it's like how to um, use managerial accounting to improve your and profits. I'm, and I'm telling you that... Five that, people show yeah, up. Yeah, and that five-person class is, in many ways, more valuable than the baby class. And those those are the ones that are going to be making yeah, money. Yeah, and they're the year, ones that yeah. are making money. Yeah, yeah. It's, the ones, it's the ones who are treating their business like a business and learning how to, and learning how to make money with their business. Well, the um, educational opportunities coming up. Um, again, I mentioned them uh, in a previous episode, but still coming up uh, this coming June. You have the Florida Professional Photographers Florida School. is for you Florida people where I will be teaching a two-day class on photography. Yes, Mr. Gary Hughes. I won't be there. And now, guess what? I have also been asked to be a platform speaker at Focus, which is the Florida Convention. It's a big year for you. I know. It is. I'm so fancy. I mean, it is. you spoke twice at Imaging USA when you weren't even supposed to speak at all. Yeah. And now you're speaking at Focus and you're going to be speaking at Florida School. As if people aren't tired enough of the sound of yeah. my voice. <laughs> I spoke at Imaging USA and then I did the spring seminar, but that's it. And now I'm speaking in South Carolina. It's a big year for both of us. We are important people, we Gary are, Hughes. We're fancy. Gary Hughes, we are a fist bump, baby. Right there. We are important people. <laughs> that's right. Now, the, um, but I, ju- I do <laughs> want to say that here, we, we, you're one of those people that you not only teach, that you also attend and you're sure. always looking to learn. Yeah. And I think that that's important to maintain in your photography business. Yeah. But also take more business classes. Yeah. 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 I don't have a problem. I don't I don't have to take many business classes because I owned several businesses before I started this business. So I I feel like I've got that down. But mar- there's always new marketing and sales and all kinds of stuff. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Well, um we are just about out of time. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Should we? I, do you want to just crack another beer and go for another half an hour? No, we, if we're going to do that, well, that'll be next. Next, we'll do a beer show part two. All right, take us home, Boo Ray. All right, uh, do be sure and check us out online. Uh, go visit us at photobombpodcast.com. You can email questions to us, questions at photobombpodcast.com, hughesfioretti.com, and booreyperry.com. We are on Facebook, we are on Twitter, and I think that's it. Until next time, we will talk to you soon. See you then. Mm-hmm.